Welcome to Private Banking Strategies Podcast with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks, your secret weapon to protect your assets and never have to start over financially again. Vance and Seth help high net worth individuals, families, business owners, and investors structure an asset-protected, tax-free fortress for their families. Learn how to keep what you earn and use the velocity of money to create your own private banking system. Join us on this journey as we explore the secret strategies of the rich and political elite and help you take total control of your financial security. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to Private Banking Strategies with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks. Vance, how are you? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you? I am doing fantastic. I'm excited to get into content today. Before we do, though, Seth, how are you doing? Doing great, Eric. Like, glad to be here. I'm so glad you guys are making me a part of this again, as usual. Today, you're talking about how a specifically designed banking life insurance policy is constructed, and we have 10 points to cover, 10 different items that you guys are going to cover in this, and you've given me the role of MC, so I'm going to present each one of these points, and you're going to explain it to me, right? We hope so, yes. <laughs> I hope so, and I'm sure the audience hopes so as well. So let's just get started. Let's jump right in. So number one is the type of policy to be used. What are you using? We're after a very special banking contract, a contract that existed actually before our country was a country. Okay. We didn't have banking like we have now. Lloyds of London came over, and they introduced a contract with their age representatives. I don't know what they were called back then specifically, but for, quote, a premium, they would be able to buy a death benefit and have this agent take care of all their valuables. And this contract assured that they would get so many things or whatever right before our country was a country. And then it evolved until the very first mutual life insurance came into existence or came over. A lot of these insurance companies were already in existence and they moved over to the United States. And so it's absolutely critical that you go back to the original contract even though we're modernized and the strategy was eradicated out of the United States, these contracts still exist. They tweak and they change a little bit, but they are and can be put right back into a banking format. And so let me tell you what that is. That is a participating mutual whole life insurance contract. That is what you're looking for with an insurance carrier that is friendly to the strategy. By being friendly, we need to move money in and out. And if they have a stock division, and many of the mutual companies have brought on stock divisions, and if the stock CFO or whatever is the president at the time, they have a reverse philosophy. Participating mutual whole life insurance company, the policy insureds or the policy owners are the owners of the life insurance company, mm -hmm. and they control that company. 
and they could literally vote a no confidence and kick out the president. So the stock divisions, they have stockholders, and they have to have money on hand so that they can pay stockholders their profits. And so they want to keep as much of the cash value in store as possible. So the difference is, in philosophies, if you go to an unfriendly one, and many of us already have contracts with these, New York Life, Equitable, Northwestern Mutual, or all companies, fantastic companies in what they do, but they don't want or allow the banking strategy, and you could easily be investigated for money laundering because we do the same thing. We put money in, we pay ourselves back, we borrow money, we pay ourselves back. We want to stick with those friendly companies. We have a list and everybody can find out about that. So we have to stay with that. It's absolutely critical in order for you to get a pure design for a banking contract. Got it. Very specific. Why can't you use index or UL contracts? All right. And I want Seth to participate in this because he's got some good in-depth information here. It is not a banking contract. Do banks do anything out there that isn't, quote, ironclad, locked into a contract? They don't, okay? They have to have that guarantee and that assurance. Index is a floating number out there oh well if the market does this if this does that you could possibly do this universal life it's the fad of the day and they have term turned a term contract into what they're calling a permanent whole life insurance contract and it is anything but I know we would get a lot of controversy out there, but if they don't have the ironclad guarantees that these participating mutual whole life insurance contracts do, you cannot depend that in 10 years or 20 years or at retirement, that money's gonna be there. These contracts allow you that. Our problem is, and the reason that we're bringing it up is that there's a lot of banking pornography out there according to this strategy. And a lot of folks are out there, a lot of agents are out there to sell policies saying, yes, this will qualify, this will work for a banking strategy. And oh, look at these numbers, look how it grows and it outperforms. Those are not guarantees. <laughs> the history has had nothing close to that. Seth, tell me a little bit more. Tell us, uh, the audience, a little bit more why they might not want to do these index stuff. And the sure. Well, I, you know, I'll give you the answer right up front, and then we'll peel back the layers. It, it comes down to risk. With indexed and universal life contracts, the insurance companies shift the risk to the ins- to, to you effectively. And although they may make policy illustrations, which look absolutely wonderful, those best case policy illustrations never turn out 
like they purport to. And so we've seen horror story after horror story in the industry and others, because we don't place people in universal life or index policies, but others who have come along and been placed in those policies have bought the best case policy illustration that is presented to them. And they think, wow, I'm, you know, I'm going to make 12% out of this. That blows participating mutual whole life out of the water. But it really doesn't. It's tortoise and the hare. And the hare is actually an illusion anyway. And they have certain terms. I've read one tragedy where an elderly lady had been paying premiums her entire life. And then for some reason or another, they were late. And they canceled the policy and they gave base effectively no value after decades of servicing the policy. And um, so there's, there's multiple various reasons of why they won't, but it boils down to risk. All right. The third point that you have on here is the components of a banking contract. What's that all about? A lot of th- people think that, okay, I decide how much premium I want to pay and I stick it in here and all's well and good. That is not the case. The contract has to be designed to be the most efficient possible for we, the clients. Okay, so we want to put the components together that will make that happen. There's some laws and some rules. Back in the 70s, a strategy like this became very popular. And Uncle Sam came in and shut that down and caused what's known as the modified endowment rule. If you turn this into a modified endowment, we're gonna tax you on everything and track everything. But if you stay on the right side of the fence, all privileges as normal. What that was, Eric, was that people were taking their retirement money and instead of getting a pension, they took a lump sum and they would buy a single pay whole life insurance contract in these uh, mutual companies. And their net would be higher than the annuity or the uh, retirement plan before taxes. And theirs was tax-free totally. And it started catching on and about 10% of the population knew about it and was going to do it. And see, 10% in America is the saturation point in most everything. They had to go in and put that rule in. Now you can still do the same thing. It takes just a little bit longer, not quite as lucrative, but here are the components. There's the regular premium we all hear. Everybody sells against it. Oh, we hate premium insurance. the most expensive thing out there. It's really not. It works exactly like a new startup company. As a matter of fact, gauging startup companies in order to make a profit, usually the average is five years before any profit's seen at all. Anywhere from three to seven and Mm -hmm. five being the average. You know where those statistics came from? (laughs) Mm -hmm. It came from the life insurance industry because that's what the cash value does so we do a minimum amount of base premium to qualify that we stay on the right side of the fence for the mech law then we go right back in and we buy single pay whole life insurance 
with pretty much the remainder of the money and we might throw in what's called a term writer because if we're going to charge ourselves interest we'd like to borrow money out of the policy and not only put that back but the interest that we're charged to might be able to fit back in there and that there's some wiggle room there so those three components is what it takes to set up these contracts the rest are expenses you could do premium waivers you could do all kinds of insurability things and maybe you could do that but we tell people right up front we are not going to solve any of your death benefit needs we're going to set up a banking contract and we're going to go after the absolute minimums we can get away with in order to increase and have the most in cash value so that's how we those are the components in that what have i missed seth there's few probably a few more things no, I mean, I think those are the nuts and bolts. It's effectively, you want to have a company and a contract that, that is favorable for your purposes. And that's getting multiple touches on the same dollar, moving money, keeping money at work, in and out, no tax consequences, pounds with inside that policy year after year. And at year seven, eight, nine, ten, it starts to really go parabolic as far as values and dividends that are paid. And if you're putting your money to work in solid investments, those multiple returns on that investment will shine. Fantastic. That's good. Do you see yourself in that story? Do you feel like you are generating a lot of revenue but are not moving forward as fast as you would like? Are you ready for help? Please call Private Banking Strategies at 817 200 4777 or visit us at www.privatebankingstrategies.com All right, number 4 guys is proper percentages of components. What does that mean? Well, I have to put that in there Eric because again, out there in the world people will say, "Oh, you need to do it this way. These should be the percentages and if you're not, you're being ripped off." Okay, again, and I want to discuss that. There is a proper procedure, but every individual has a unique situation. Some individuals, we might go right up front with a modified endowment contract, one that's, that would be taxed and be traceable, because in their needs, in their situation, they're looking for X, and that solves it perfectly. Okay, so we don't rule different things out but to try to entice people in. And one of the things that we're hearing that is just, it's funny, uh, is called the 90-10 rule. And we're going to get into that a little later, but we want to have the proper percentage of between base premium and this paid-up additions writer is the official word, which is a sing the single pay part appropriate. It's the best short-term and long-term. You deviate from that as the norm then on one end it's going to suffer a little bit one of the benefits are is that when we go over a hundred percent efficiency for every dollar we're putting in we're creating more than a dollar in cash value anywhere from a dollar five dollar ten a dollar twenty 
So we try to make these accounts as efficient as possible for we the clients. And I say we the clients, I have a lot of policies. I have a lot of contracts in this because everything I do and the companies I run are all run off of this individual strategy. We're talking about efficiency of your premium dollars and cash value equivalent. So at the beginnings of the policies, it's a business startup, Eric, as Vance mentioned. That's an equivalent concept. And so you're getting a pretty high return on the dollar that you invest in your new banking business back. And so that value then increases year after year. And after a year four, five, six, you're putting in a dollar and you're getting back a hundred plus percent. And I've seen some of the illustrations that are well into the 120, 130 percent. Mm-hmm. And that's what Vance is describing. So you, you know, you put in a hundred thousand dollars just for round math and you've got a hundred thirty thousand that year in cash value. So you could effectively take the 30,000 and put that to work and have the principal still in there and never use that. And you've got 30,000 in play in an investment for out of thin air, so to speak. All right. Now, number five, you say use caution in trying to get the CV too high in the first few years. One of the things that we mean by that is many outfits out there try to do a much larger either a dump in or what's called a larger amount into the paid up additions rider in year one and we can do that up to a point if somebody sells a business if someone inherits or gets a windfall we call it there are definite strategies and ways to deal with that but to try to set the contract up so that it creates the most cash value in year one will cause that contract to suffer in later years. So we want to make sure that we do the correct balance for the situation of each individual. I'm hearing and reading on YouTube and everything that if you're not getting 90% in cash value in year one, you're being ripped off. That couldn't be further from the truth. That one was set up that way to create year one as a really high cash value. Well, what happens in year two and in year three? In order to get to that point, we have to add a tremendous amount of expense to the contract. And that has to stay with that contract usually 20 to 30 years. So I put that in there as a caution not to fall prey. Another thing is the people who do that do not are not compensated high enough to be able to service and put and implement the services for the customer that is needed. And my analogy with that is, if your wife needs brain surgery, are you going to go find the cheapest brain surgeon out there or the the absolute best that's probably going to cost you the most? 
That depends on the day, Vance. I'm just kidding. You know my Maybe wife. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, of course, we're going we're gonna to get the best we possibly can for the best possible outcome. And if they're not in business when you need them, how good is that? Yeah, true. So there's a reason for the mix and the things that go through that. A lot of people ask us, how much do you make? How much do you pay? And we show them exactly. When said, okay, this is the part. We're going we're gonna to pay for our time in this right here. It's not going to come out of pocket. Got it. So it's important that you do that and that there's enough there so that the training and the complete setup will carry all the way through. But most of these guys who are out in left field doing these other things don't set up the banking side anyway. They just sell the policies, and it's absolute horror stories out there. All right, point six that you have on your list of 10 here. I'm just going to give a little teaser. It's actually a question for this one. Is private banking short-term or long-term? And I'm assuming you mean as a strategy, and here's what I'm going to say. This is where we're going to stop the podcast, and we'll just tease the audience with that one. I think most people that have been listening to you guys for a while know the answer to that. I certainly do, but I want a longer explanation, but we don't have time today. We're going to come back with part two with the next five points. Is that okay with you guys? Absolutely. with me. Yep. All right. Guys, I know that you've given them a lot of food for thought already on these first five points, and folks need to investigate this for themselves. You've got a ton of resources. We've talked about that on the mid-roll, the middle of this podcast. But one more time, can you give them some contact information, some places to go to get more information, maybe how they can talk to you guys? Sure. You can find us at privatebankingstrategies.com. That's privatebankingstrategies.com. And there we've got tons of resources, Eric, including our free book. We like to call it Red Pill Book, How to Grow Rich with the Secret That Banks Don't Want You to Know. And we've got blog resources and all of our podcasts that we've produced together and that we've been guests on other folks' shows. And you can effectively binge on content until you're in a place where you know it's for you. And then you schedule an exploratory call with us or decide that it's not for mm-hmm. you. But that's where you find us and that's where you can find a ton of resources. All right. Great stuff. Thank you guys so much for your time. And of course, our last thank you goes to you, the listening audience. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Private Banking Strategies podcast with Vance Lowe and Seth Hicks. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Vance and Seth come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it really easy to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Private Banking Strategies, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Did that story feel like it was about you? Do you feel you should be making more progress toward your financial goals? Do you feel stuck? Let us help you get unstuck. Are you ready to take action and get your own private bank? Please call Private Banking Strategies at 817-200-4777 or visit us at www.privatebankingstrategies.com. Thank you for listening to the Private Banking Strategies Podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of private banking strategies. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. 
The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.